As most of you know, we've been preaching a sermon series called Simon Peter, Imperfect Disciple. Hannah brought a great message from that series last week on her podcast. Uh, this week, I was planning to preach uh, another part of the Simon Peter series. In fact, all this week I was sort of on vacation, trying to take some vacation time. And, uh, and I was sort of working away a little bit here and there on, on, the, on a message from the Simon Peter series. And then literally about lunchtime today, it just wasn't coming together at all. And I felt, I just felt like God was saying, that's not what I want you to preach, you idiot. So um, I tried something different. Uh, and so, uh, so this morning, the message that we have for you is simply called this, a Christian response to coronavirus. We've seen the government response, uh, we've seen the school board response, we've seen Galen Weston and the Loblaws response, we, the, we've seen local businesses respond to coronavirus, and I've been watching as churches respond to this, um, largely in really wonderful ways that make me proud to be part of the global church family. I want to talk this morning about the Christian response to coronavirus. How should each of us as followers of Jesus respond in light of scripture, in light of our biblical worldview, in light of the example that Jesus sets for us to coronavirus. So seven ways, seven ways we ought to respond to coronavirus. Uh, and the first one is this, don't worry. I can imagine a song, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. I recognize that this is a time when a lot of people are under a lot of stress, and that leads to Anxiety. Many of, you, many of you already deal with anxiety, and this is making it worse. Um, I tend to be a pretty stress-free person, but this past week, uh, as I said, trying to take some vacation time, uh, I found myself becoming stressed out and anxious and my mind racing in ways that it doesn't normally do. These are challenging times. People are worried about finances. People are worried about job security. Uh, they're worried about health, obviously, worried about... Uh, family members, uh, elderly family members, uh, worried about not being able to get what you need from the stores. I've got a friend who's 20 weeks pregnant and she's worried, and it's in a high-risk pregnancy, and, and she's worried about, about her pregnancy and, and getting the care she needs. Um, you know, worry about this going on for a really, really long time. There's a lot of worry uh, and a lot of anxiety. Even as you go around town, you just sense like this, even this feeling of panic which seems to be the norm right now as we're living through these unique days. Um, so these days are definitely strange for us, but they're certainly not new in human history. So many of us who, so many people who've gone before us have lived through challenging times. And life wasn't easy in Jesus's day. They were under Roman occupation, uh, which in and of itself would have been very challenging to be living in a place occupied by a foreign power. Um, there was warring factions, uh, things like that happening. There was no healthcare system, high infant mortality rate. Most people did not have a lengthy lifespan. Uh, people were dealing with anxiety even in Jesus' day, clearly because Jesus addressed it. Uh, if we read in today, our scriptures in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible at home, you can turn there in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says this, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you or given to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now these words of Jesus, uh, I, I find very comforting. They're kind of, a, they're kind of scolding too, to us who, who are tending towards anxiety, but they're also very comforting and, there's, comforting, and there's a few big ideas in there that Jesus touches on. And I would think, say the first one is this, that you can trust God to provide for you because he highly values you. God loves you. He treasures you. It says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God loves you more than the birds. Verse 30, he clothes the, he clothes the grass of the field. Consider the lilies, like that old gospel song, consider the lilies. You know, God looks after his creation with great care. And human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are, he loves us more than anything. He loves us so much that he died for us. Uh, he values you greatly. And so because of that, you can trust God to provide for your needs. Another thing that I would say is one of the big ideas that Jesus is getting at in this passage is that worrying accomplishes nothing of value. Uh, verse 27, <clears throat> Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then verse 34, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worrying about tomorrow doesn't make tomorrow any easier. It just makes today worse. So worrying accomplishes nothing good. And then the other big idea is in verse 33 where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Prioritize the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of stuff. Not the kingdom of stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of toilet paper. Not the kingdom of your pantry. Let's keep our focus in the right place. We get so busy looking at our earthly problems that we forget to look at our Heavenly Father. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not worry. God's got this. He's not surprised by any of this stuff. He's not caught off guard. He is still on the throne. And that gigantic, amazing God that we worship treasures you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. So, take a deep breath. 
and release your worry, your anxiety, your fear. Just release it all to God. Even in this moment right now, just take a breath and let it go. Just release the anxiety. Just say, I trust you, Lord. Reside in his peace. Don't worry. Reside in his peace. Now, Philippians, I want to turn there because um, this is a great passage of scripture uh, that is so relevant to what is happening in our world right now. So Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's peace that doesn't make any sense. Why can you have peace in the midst of all this turmoil? It surpasses understanding. That peace from God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to read that as well from the New Living Translation because I love how it flows in, in the NLT. It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the first point is, do not worry. Don't worry. God's got this. God's got this. God is in control. The second point is, comes from this passage, and it's pray. It's pray. It said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. If you just go back to that previous slide, it says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. God wants to hear from you. He loves it when you pray. He, he expects you to pray. He even commands you to pray. So pray. And then pray some more. And then after you're done doing that, pray again. Pray without ceasing, the Apostle Paul wrote. It's good to ask God to meet your needs. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus taught us to pray. And of course, the privilege we have is not just to pray for our own needs, but to pray for the needs of others as well. Prayer is no little thing. It's an important thing, and uh, it's something that we should be doing in response to the coronavirus. Number three, give thanks to God. Again, in Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. Thank Him for all He has done. Okay, hold on a second, Pastor. Hold on a second. I get the idea of praying and asking God for help and that kind of stuff. I get it, for sure, when we're going through this coronavirus thing. But I don't know if I can be thankful these days, considering all that's happening. Well, consider that when Paul wrote these words in Philippians, he was writing from prison. He was writing from isolation. He was on house arrest, very much similar to what some of us are experiencing these days. And this wasn't Paul's first time in the slammer as well. He was writing this letter to the Philippians, and it was in Philippi 
where Paul and Silas, his fellow missionary at the time, had previously landed in jail for preaching about Jesus. I love the story. We can read it in Acts chapter 16. So I'm going to turn there now. Again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn or scroll on your phone as long as you don't scroll away from the video. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in the county jail here in Philippi. It says this, starting at verse 23 of Acts 16. And when they had inflicted many blows, this is the this is the magistrates and the crowd here in Philippi that were very opposed to Paul and Silas. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, that's the deep, dark, scary part, and fastened their feet in the stocks. So imagine this scene for a minute. Paul and Silas here, they'd done nothing wrong except for preaching about Jesus, which people didn't seem to appreciate at the time, uh, and other things that were happening. And they get thrown into prison. They get beaten and thrown into prison. Imagine that was you. Imagine that you just got hauled off by some nasty police or something, some, some corrupt officers, and they beat you within an inch of your life and then throw you into the county jail and, and handcuff you to the wall or whatever. I mean, like, this is a, this is a crazy situation. I don't know about you, but if that was me, uh, I would be whining and complaining. I tend to, I tend to be a complainer. Uh, you know, just ask my wife if I even have like a bruise or something. Julia hears about it for like three days. Oh, my bruise hurts so bad. She's just like, oh, give me a break. Um, I'm, a, I'm a major wuss. Thank you for the one person in the room who found that funny. <clears throat> I'm telling you what, it's very strange for me to be not having people in the audience responding to my jokes. Hopefully at home you're laughing, but I suspect you're probably not. What about Paul and Silas here? Are they moaning and complaining and, and, and grumbling about their terrible circumstance that they're in? Well, no, this is what they're doing. In 25, so about midnight, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, naturally, of course, I'd be praying too, but they not only were doing that, they were singing hymns to God. <clears throat> and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing hymns to God. Yep, singing. They're beat to a pulp. They're stuck in jail. Not sure if or when they'll ever get out. And they're having a midnight hymn sing. They're breaking out into a worship set. I mean, this is amazing. They're probably singing Great is Thy Faithfulness in two-part harmony. This is, this is amazing. Uh, and, of course, the story goes on. It's a great story. You should read it for yourself. God does this miracle and releases them, and it's so cool. But how could they do that? How could they be in this circumstance of, of, of this terrible situation that they're in? How could they, despite all of that, uh, worship God and praise Him and thank Him uh, for, for His goodness? Well, it's because they knew this truth that is so important for all of us to drill into our brains and our hearts. And this is the truth, that my circumstances do not change God's character. My circumstances do not change God's character. That's huge. Because so often, so many of us are going through something and we go, oh, why is God doing this? Or God is so awful to let me go through. Your circumstance, my circumstances, does not change 
God's character. If you believe God is good and that God is love and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the scriptures say, and as I believe, then no matter what we are going through, we have a reason to worship because God is unchanging. Our world is all topsy-turvy and chaos and craziness, but God is not. He is consistent. We have a reason to worship and praise him. There's this great song by Hillsong. In one part of the song, it says, All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. In this season of shutdown and isolation and quarantine and stock markets tanking and jobs being lost and people dying and stuff like that. He is still God. He is still God. He is still good. I still have a reason to sing. My circumstances do not change God's character. And Paul and Silas in prison knew that. Because of that, despite the terrible circumstance that they were in, they were able to praise and worship God. So one of the ways that the Christian ought to respond to the coronavirus outbreak is to give thanks to God. He's unchanging. Number four, be hope-filled. Be hope-filled. I truly believe that God wastes no pain. When people are suffering, God is always, without fail, at work, bringing about goodness and life and beauty. I think that we are all going to learn from this experience that we're going through right now. I think that God is going to birth new things, new ministries, new connections, new compassion in our hearts. He's going to inspire creative thinking in the church he already has. Uh, there's all kinds of new things that are happening as a result of this. Good things. Um, I love this passage in Isaiah 43, 19. It's such this beautiful promise. It says this, For I, God is speaking, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I love that. Romans 8 tells us that God is working all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, at Vacation Bible School, we always used, used to shout, watch for God! We would have these bracelets that said, watch for God, and we'd say, watch for God! And we'd do God sightings, where we talk about all the different ways that we've seen God at work in our world. And I just want to encourage you to watch for God uh, and, and, and have your eyes open to God sightings through this time. See how he's at work. Take note of the good things that God is doing and is going to do as a result of all of this suffering. He is going to make rivers in the desert, rivers in the dry wasteland. He's already begun. Number five, respect the government. Man, sometimes it's hard to respect the government. I get that. Uh, I, but I mentioned this in a video uh, a few days ago, uh, but it bears repeating. Romans 13 tells us to submit to the governing authorities. That has in mind the idea that, generally speaking, government and laws and taxes exist for our benefit 
and we should be law-abiding citizens. So Christians should be, you know, not anarchists. As Christians, we should be law-abiding citizens. Now, there is a time for civil disobedience. We are not mandated in Scripture to always do what the government says to do all of the time if what they're asking us to do is contrary to the commands of Jesus. We see this, for example, in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, uh, when, uh, again, uh, the, the disciples, Peter and others, are, are preaching, uh, and the, the rulers and officials, you know, drag them in and say, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. And we don't like it that you're talking so much about Jesus. You have to stop. So that's what the government says. But Peter and his gang said, well, uh, sorry, but we ain't going to stop talking about Jesus. Uh, and they just kept doing it. That's called civil disobedience, right? If the government tells you you can't talk about Jesus anymore, and you say, well, too bad, government. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. Uh, so there is a, a time when it's not okay to submit to the governing authorities. There is a time for civil disobedience. But this ain't it, folks. This is not it. I've been watching the news, and there's some churches in the United States, I haven't heard of any in Canada, but uh, who are intentionally defying the government. Uh, the government requests, you know, to close down large meetings and stuff, and some of these big churches, they're just meeting anyway, because they think the government's trying to silence the church, and they're all conspiracy theorists. It's, they're just, they're nuts, okay? We're doing our best here at Emmanuel to follow the government recommendations. It's important, and the, what the government is asking us to do is wise and good. And I think it's important that we hear that, because there's definitely people even in our own community, as we go around, you know, in town and stuff, that are, that are not following government recommendations for social distancing and all that sort of thing. That's not the Christian way. The Christian response to the coronavirus needs to include respect for the government and the health authorities and all those folks. Okay, so, respect government. Number six of seven. We're almost done. Love others. Love others. This is huge and obvious. The command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show and share the love of God with them, ought to be something that we put into practice all the time. Uh, but in these days, it's even more important. What does it look like to love others during the coronavirus outbreak? Well, oddly enough, one of the most important ways that we can show our love during this time is to stay home. Yeah, it seems pretty counterintuitive, right? Love other people by not going anywhere. Um, Scott McKnight, who's a theologian, he shared this on his blog. He said, staying home, maybe I didn't put this on the screen, no. His blog says, staying home is today's social justice. I like that. One of our pastors in the CBAC, in our denomination, said, love is an empty church, meaning an empty church building. Not meeting together, avoiding unnecessary contact with one another. These are crucial ways that we demonstrate our love for one another. Now, for some of you, are in, you're introverts, and social distancing comes naturally. This is, you're finding this great. Oh, hallelujah, I get to be home alone and don't have to do anything. Um, but for extroverts like me, this is a sacrifice that I have to make to be more isolated. But sacrifice is at the heart of love. In John 15, Jesus says, There is no greater love, no greater love, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sacrifice for someone else is the greatest demonstration of our love for them. So we're all being asked at this time 
to sacrifice for the well-being of our town, our province, our country. That's the loving thing to do. Even though we have to be somewhat isolated at, at this time, we can still continue to love people in practical ways as well. Think about the, the uh, amount of ministry that the Apostle Paul was able to do from isolation in prison. The letters he wrote. A lot of our New Testament came from Paul being hunkered down in a prison cell or on house arrest. Um, that's pretty amazing. So God can use you even if you are stuck at home. Uh, think creatively. Think outside the box. What does God have for you to do during this time? We saw a video earlier from Norm explaining the phone calling ministry. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, don't just get sucked into binge-watching TV or whatever you might feel the urge to do. We can still get out of the boat. Remember that message from two weeks ago? feels like it was years ago now. But we can still get out of the boat, folks, um, even if we're limited, limited in where we can go. So love others. Show the kind of care and compassion that Jesus shows to us. Number seven, share the hope you have in the face of death. One of the best things we have as followers of Jesus is the certainty of eternal life. Let me read in Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or pandemic? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things, in the, in the trouble and the hardship and the persecution and, and the suffering and, and in all those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, convinced, I love Paul's conviction here, for I am convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, and that includes COVID-19, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's a good passage of Scripture. I love that. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, we have this incredible truth that absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. That means forever and ever and ever in his love. That's eternal life. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Dying on a cross to pay for our sins. And when we repent of our sins and we believe in him, we can receive his free gift of salvation, his free gift of eternal life. We have such hope, a certain hope, a guarantee, a promise. We can be as convinced as Paul was uh, that, our, that we have eternal life. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. So we have this great promise, this great hope through Jesus as Christians. And in 1 Peter 3.15, the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, our imperfect disciple, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
perhaps now more than ever, God will give us opportunities to share with others about the hope we have in Jesus. Maybe you're watching this message today and you need that hope. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Why not turn your heart toward him even today as you're watching this broadcast online? I have a story to share with you about a remarkable opportunity that I had recently to share the gospel. Uh, but I'm going to save that for next week's message because I think it's going to fit in really good. So you'll have to tune in next week to hear about this incredible opportunity that, I, that God gave me this week to share the gospel and lead, not this week, a couple weeks ago now, to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ. It was amazing. Uh, so let me review. Uh, here are, what's a Christian response to the coronavirus? Here we go. Seven points. And seven because seven is the, the, the number of perfection. I had six points and I thought, no, no, that's not good. It has to be seven. So uh, if it's too long, it's because I just felt six wasn't enough. Anyway, here we go. Number one, don't worry. Man, don't worry. God's got this. Be anxious for nothing, the, scripture, the scriptures say. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And number three, thank him for all he has done. Give thanks to God. Uh, be, remember Paul and Silas in prison, able to worship and praise God even though they were in jail because they knew that my circumstances do not change God's character. Uh, number four is be optimistic. Oh, I was actually supposed to say be hope-filled. It was originally optimistic, and then I changed it to hope-filled. Anyway, I'm supposed to say be hope-filled. Uh, yeah, be filled with hope, because look, at God is at work in so many ways, behind the scenes, in ways that we can't even see, doing beautiful things. He, he makes beautiful things. He takes broken things, and he turns them into beautiful things. That's what God's doing, like, all the time. Like, if you feel like, what's God's job description? His job description is taking messes and making beautiful things out of them. That's what he's done in my life. That's what he's done in so many of our lives. That's our testimony. He's taken my sin and my shame and my brokenness and my failure, and he's redeemed me for his glory. I love that. So be hope-filled. This whole mess that we're in right now, this COVID-19 thing, uh, God is doing good things in the midst of all of this. Number five, respect the government. Really, pay attention to what they're saying. Uh, don't go rogue. Uh, don't be obnoxious. Respect the government. That's what we should do as Christians, generally speaking. Love others. Number six, love people. Love your neighbor. Honor your parents. If you've got elderly parents, call them, check in on them. All these things. We're supposed to love people. And in some ways, in large part right now, that means stay home uh, and, and, and stay away from folks to, to uh, try to stop the spread of this thing. And lastly, share the hope you have in the face of death. The reality is a lot of people are dying from this. Thankfully, in Canada, it's not widespread yet, but it may be soon. We don't know the, the death factor related to this. People are nervous, worried about that, worried about death. The, these sorts of things um, stir up a lot of emotions in folks and get us thinking about our own mortality. This is an opportunity that God is giving us as Christians to speak hope into people's lives because of what Jesus has done for us. All right, that's the message this morning. I'm, I don't know how long it is. I'm sorry, I always try to keep things short, but I always go longer than I intend. Uh, let me close with prayer, and then I'll turn it back to the worship team. They're gonna close with one more song with kind of a reflection on the sermon today. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your love for us. We thank you, God, that you're so good, so unchanging, uh, so, so, so wonderful, and, and Lord, that even in the midst of our circumstances, God, you are so good. 
And uh, we thank you for that, that promise, that hope. Lord, we know that this is a difficult time for a lot of folks, but help us, Lord, to not worry, to not be anxious, but to put our trust in you. Help us to be people of prayer, uh, people of praise and worship. Help us to be filled with hope. Uh, Lord, we, we need you to, 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 uh, to show us beauty and grace and, and goodness in the midst of these difficult times. Help us, Lord, to love people and give us opportunities, open doors in various ways uh, to share our hope uh, that we have in you. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray for our world. We pray that you would intervene in many ways, that you would give wisdom to people who are uh, in, in positions of authority, that the right decisions would be made at the right times, and that this uh, coronavirus would end and be over with soon so we can get things back to normal. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We recognize that you're at work, and we thank you for that. We pray for all the folks who are watching this right now, that you'd comfort them and, uh, and help us to stay connected to one another in this challenging time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for watching.